today? In a great weather out there? Are you enjoying the sunshine? Is it nice? Anybody overdo it yesterday? Get out there doing that yard work and stuff? Anybody like that? Feeling the pain? Yeah, I, I went to bed last night. I was telling Pam, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get up and walk tomorrow, but hey, here I am all worked out. So yeah, it's a great stuff. We are ending our series on winning the battle for your mind today. And before we do that, though, I've got some announcements just uh, to keep updated on what's happening. One thing is this. Um, the, how many of you have heard of an organization called LifeWise? LifeWise is an organization that sort of takes advantage of a law that was back in the 50s, a federal law that says public school students can receive uh, biblical education or religious instruction during school hours as long as it's not on campus. And so we as a church, we are kind of spearheading uh, bringing LifeWise to Fremont City Schools. and It's kind of expanding around our area, and we're going to start with the elementary schools. I actually asked uh, four other churches, or three other churches, and us makes four, uh, to, that believe the same way about the Bible, to come alongside of us and, and help us do that. So all that's happening, and the reason I'm mentioning that to you, we're going to try to have that in place uh, for the fall, but there's a lot of work to be done on that. And I mention it because I'm asking for your prayers, that you'd help us to establish a solid foundation uh, to be able to, and, and also pray that local businesses might help with the finances of that, because there is a cost to that. And uh, we're going to try to make that happen in all four of our uh, elementary school campuses this fall, but we're just getting it launched, so please, please pray we get a solid foundation um, to build on. Does that make sense? You with me? Yeah, I'm not putting that into very good words, but, but there it is. There's also like a petition that you can sign. Yeah, that's great. Um, that you can sign, and a lot of people ask, well, what campus? If you have children at a certain campus, that's great, but if you don't, it doesn't really matter. But uh, we're, we're glad, you're, and I'll keep you posted on that. And then the other thing that I just wanted to keep you, how many of, how many of you checked in children today? So if you checked in kids, you might have noticed it's a little, a little dusty back there in the gym, and there's a reason for that. Uh, we just uh, prepared the floor, and the next thing that's supposed to happen is actually the install of, of our ship. I think we have a picture of that. Um, that's going to go in. There's a play structure inside of that that's like kind of for kids, three or four stories. It goes up to the mezzanine. There's a way to cross over from there. So that's all being constructed. We've got an octopus. And uh, here's, here's uh, I think this is a child of one of the workers at this factory. How would you like that for a job as a kid? Your job, test out all the toys. All right? You, got, you know, t test out the play equipment. Yeah, that's, that's great. And then uh, we also have some other things that are going in there. So it's prep the floor first. It's start installing these things second. And we actually finish the floor last. So I know that a lot of you are thinking, well, why don't you finish the floor? This is the way they tell us to do it. So we're doing it that way, all right? So it's coming. And uh, we think the kids are going to have a, a blast. And so we're excited about that. So I want to just recap what we've talked about. We're going to wrap everything up today, winning the battle for your mind, because Scripture talks about this a lot. We've been in several different passages learning about this, and basically we found out that science has caught up with what the Bible said all along. 
And what's happening in the science world, and actually this has been happening for the last couple of decades, but what they found is that um, we, every human being, has around 86 billion neuron, neurons in their mind. And that uh, neuron is just a cell that sends and receives information in our brain. Each of these cells, each of these neurons, has about 10,000 connections with other neurons creating neurological pathways. And so there's a bunch of those pathways, if you do the math on that, that's 860 trillion pathways in our brains that make connections. And these pathways and connections can produce chemicals in our brain that make us feel good or not so good or whatever, all that is, is wired in that way. Science has discovered that there's something called neuroplasticity that they used to think was only present in children that now they know is also present in adults that allows the brain to reorganize itself and it allows these neurons to create new pathways to other neurons and then that changes the way we think, which leads to us changing our behavior. And the more we use these pathways, the more ingrained they become. It's kind of like a rut or a dog path in the yard. You know, that happens just by repeat of use. But when we change our thinking, that also can become habitual for us. And it can become sort of our default thinking if we... Uh, if we think about it enough. Well, this is what the Bible has always told us in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. We already covered this, but it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're called, and, and basically, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. There's a battle going on here. We don't, as Christians, we don't live in a bubble. We live in a battle. And we know that this is actually a spiritual battle. And so we talked about 2 Corinthians 10 and how that describes all this in, in kind of warfare language. Specifically one verse, verse five says this, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we talked about how that passage, it's like we identify the lies that we believe, we first figure out what those are. We destroy the walls that are protecting them. We take captive every thought and we drag them out and make it be obedient to Jesus. I mean, that's kind of the strong language that Paul uses as he writes his second letter to Corinth that he's, he's talking about this, this situation. And that's easier said than done, especially for people who are dealing with depression. And so we want to talk about this a little bit because depression is real. It, it affects more people than we think. It affects people who followed God in the Bible, heroes of the faith. It affected, for example, Job and Jacob and David and Elijah 
and Jonah and Jeremiah, and it affects Christians today. And so here, here's some stats. Think about this. 12.7% of all emergency room patients have depression indicated on their medical record when they come, you know, that's from that visit. 12.7 of all emergency room visits has something to do with depression. 13.2% of adults used antidepressant medication in the last 30 days. So in the last 30 days, 13.7%. And then 11% of doctor's office patients, when they go in to see the doctor, not the emergency room, but you make an appointment, have depression indicated on their medical record. And so there's a lot of common sense things that we can do to battle depression. I mean, there's, you know, we, we should eat right. We should sleep right. And then we have sun, sunlight, right? Sunshine. Even in northwestern Ohio, we have sunshine, right? Now, are you glad about that? Yes. Yeah, a few of you aren't glad because you just came back from Florida. But hey, for the rest of us, we're glad. We're happy about that. You know, so, and then exercise. And medication can help, but we need to be very cautious about that. And that's because the United States, you know, leads the world as the highest rate of antidepressant consumption. And that's happening even though in the scientific world right now, there's a huge debate on the efficacy of antidepressant drugs. So you just got to know there, there's a big controversy, a big debate on whether, whether that helps or not. I'm not telling you to stop anything. You, you, that's between you and your doctor. I'm just saying there's a huge debate on this. And even with that, it's, there's just more and more and more. And, and the last time that I talked about this and studied this, I didn't study this, this fact this time, is the, 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 the fastest growing market for antidepressant drugs is pre-K. You know, I mean, it's just everywhere. So we got to know that. Well, what does the Bible say about that? Well, the Bible tells us about really the opposite. The Bible's saying we renew our minds by learning God's truth. That's what we've been learning. We renew our minds by learning God's truth, which replaces lies that we believe, lies that we have in our head. And those lies, lies can come from our culture. It could come from our individual background. It could come from the media, and that's part of culture. It, it could just be what we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better or uh, maybe feel like something's not our fault or whatever. The lies we believe. And of course, Jesus told us that the father of lies is who? The devil, Satan, the devil, right. And so we're reminded, even with that, that this is a spiritual battle, depression, joy, inside our heads, inside our minds. And so let's cap this up before we get on this topic. So far, we're realizing learning biblical truth, learning biblical truth and contemplating it, thinking about it, changes the way we think. And it changes the way we think. The more we contemplate biblical truth, the more it changes the way we think. 
the more common that we would think a better way, a more truthful way. And then the more we think that way, the more likely we are to have habits or actions or we live out with behavior, what that's saying. That's why cognitive behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral psychology are gaining in, in momentum. It's, it's because of all this, it's really a lot like what the Bible says. Not exactly, but a lot of it's, because they'll say, just tell your head anything that'll make you do the, what, the thing you want me to do. We're saying, no, don't do that. Go by what God says is truth. That's what we need to, to look at. And so, and we need to remember this. We were talking about this last time. Many of us here are believers, not everybody, but those of us who are believers, we realize we've sinned against God and Jesus came in order to pay our punishment for sin. He died on the cross for our sin and we received that through faith, the benefit of it. But he didn't just come to save us from the consequences of our sin. Also, his doing that saves us from the control or the power of sin in our life. We don't have to keep doing the things we don't want to do. Even Paul struggled with that. So today, we end winning the battle for your mind with the topic of joy. Joy versus depression is a battle that's in our minds. When we're winning the battle for our minds, we experience joy. We're going to that's what God intends for our lives, joy. He doesn't, I'm not saying he intends for us all to be rich. This is not health, wealth stuff. This is not prosperity gospel. No, but God does intend all of us to live with joy no matter what our circumstances are. We recently went, took months to go through the book of John. And in the book of John, Jesus said this in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my, this is Jesus talking, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. He's talking about us. Another time, Jesus used an illustration about joy. It's recorded for us by Matthew in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. On the, on the outside, it doesn't look like anything's changed, but he's found this treasure that's hidden. But on the inside, everything's changed for him. Joy. We should be joyful. These are two, and it's all over the Bible, but these were two eyewitnesses that lived with Jesus, followed Jesus, were disciples of Jesus, John and Matthew, both telling us what Jesus emphasized about joy, telling us about joy, taught about joy. We should be joyful. And, and if you're a believer here, why not be joyful? Of course we should be joyful, no matter what we're going through. Why? Because if you're a believer, that means you understand that God not only created you, and he created you a choice whether to follow him or not, but God also loves you. And even though by choice we've all sinned against him and therefore fell into the category of enemies against God, 
God kept on loving us and loved us so much, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come to our earth and to die on the cross. Even though he had no sins of his own, he died on the cross to pay our penalty for sin. What I owe for sin, which is separation from God forever, Jesus took that penalty on himself. He died for me, and infinite God was killed by his own creation and in some mysterious way separated from the Father when he yells out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We can be joyful about that. We know where we're heading. We know we're loved. Not only that, Scripture tells us, that if we're a believer, God comes into our life at the moment of salvation through his Holy Spirit, and he will never leave us, never forsake us. There's no love greater than the love God has for us. And not only that, God tells us that if we're following Jesus, then any bad thing that happens in our lives, God, even if it's an evil thing, God is big enough and holy enough and powerful enough that he can turn that into good for us because he loves us. We have reason to be joyful, every single believer. Jesus died for us. We, we only have to respond in faith. We don't earn it. It's a gift. Be joyful. Joy was a theme not only with Jesus, but also in Paul's letters. It's interesting because even Paul's letters written from prison, joy is a major theme like in Philippians. And all through the Bible, I think joy is mentioned like in, in just this one letter, Philippians, to the church in Philippi where he, had, he founded that church. It's mentioned like 19 times in this short letter. But it sort of peaks with this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. So notice he repeats this. It's almost when he's writing this, rejoice in the Lord always. It's like he knows when people are reading, they're like, well, rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, of course we should rejoice in the Lord. But then he says, always. And, and people are thinking, always? Well, you don't rejoice in the Lord always. What if something bad happens? You know, what if you're suffering? What if you're facing persecution like what's happening to us, Paul? What about then? And it's almost like he knows that rejoice in the Lord always, and he understands their doubts and their, their objections to that. And so he tacks on, he doubles down. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice. And again, I'll say rejoice. He anticipates that. And of course, rejoice just means what? Be joyful. Be joyful. And again, I'll say be joyful. Be joyful. We are called as Christians to live with joy. And he's in jail. He's writing this letter and he's still hammering joy. He suffered persecution in Philippi, remember? It was a first city 
in Europe that he crossed over from Asia and he goes in there and he meets some ladies who are worshiping God, you know, as Jewish people outside the city next to a river, Lydia, and he starts sharing the gospel with them. They become followers. Lydia gets saved. People start believing, but then all of a sudden, you know, something happens where they turn, the city kind of turns on him. They beat him, threw him into prison. Remember all that? The jailer ends up coming to Christ because of that. And then they realize he's a Roman citizen. They're like, well, can you just move on, Paul? And Paul says, hey, you just beat me and I'm a Roman citizen. No, why don't you come and ask me to leave? And we all wonder, why didn't he tell him he's a Roman citizen like before he got beaten? Or why didn't he tell him he's a Roman citizen like after the first hit? That's what I would have done. Whoa, I'm a Roman citizen. He didn't do that. He takes the beating. Why? Because the people that he's ministering to, they weren't Roman citizens. And so they were going to have to face whatever was coming. So Paul does that. So they'll think twice before they'll start messing with Christians because these Christians won't even tell us they're Roman citizens. Before we beat them, you got to be careful with these guys. Hey, Paul's writing them. He's saying rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. All the other contexts, he says this over and over. He says it like 19 times. For example, chapter 1, verse 18 of Philippians, Paul rejoices that Jesus is preached, even if some people do it with bad motives. In the second chapter, verse 2, Paul urges the church to make his joy complete by being united, like-minded, Later in that chapter, there's two verses where he talks about joy four times. He says rejoice because they've joined with him in sacrifice and service. We can rejoice when we sacrifice and serve God. In chapter 3, verse 1, the first, this is the first time he says rejoice in the Lord. And then even later in chapter 4, he's talking about he's rejoicing over their generous gift. Over and over, it's just rejoice. But here in verse 4, it's different than the other ones because those are all attached to some context. But in verse 4, he's just saying rejoice always. Always. No matter what. That's what God is telling us. Because for believers, being joyful is deeper and goes beyond any circumstance that we're facing at the time. We must fight against basing our joy on our circumstances. We're believers. We're destined to heaven. God loves us. He's never leaving us. There's no downside here. No matter what you're going through, God loves you. He wants it to work out the best for you and will make it happen that way. We don't have to worry. God will work it out for our good. Be joyful always in the Lord. Think about it. We have a God of the universe who creates us. He really owns us. But he makes us where we can choose to follow him or not. He gives us freedom. But then he commands us, the God of the universe commands his creation, be joyful How's that for a great command? Be joyful. Not pray 20 hours a day. You know, there's a lot of things he could have said, but he says, be joyful. It's the best command, right? And we don't even do it. You know, it's crazy. Be joyful. Is what it, and here's the deal. Kids do this better than us, right? 
Have you noticed that? Kids are joyful a lot more than we are. Once in a while, they're crying, and we take them out. We get that. But, you know, they're, they're joyful. I know, so Pam and I have eight grandkids, and six of them are sort of old enough to interact with more. You know, they're not infants. And so six of them, you know, they're, they're little. And, and they'll come over, and, and a lot of them, you know, when they see me, they'll run and they'll jump into my arms. Hey, you ever have that? You know, it's a cool experience. So the jump, well, if they're a certain age, you know, sometimes, hey, how you doing? I'll set them down. Then they'll back up and they'll do it again. Hey, you know, hey, it's good to see you. And I'll set them down and then they'll back up and they'll do it a third time once in a while. Hey, of course, my back is, you know, I'm realizing, you know, when they're 17 years old, this is not going to go that easy for me. <laughs> as they grow up. You know, and then at, at our house, we, we play with the kids. You know, we, we'll have games. Like one of, one of the games, I got this from Bluey, is the game Statue. So the, here's the game Statue is they'll all line up and, pre, you know, they'll stand real stiff and pretend to be statues at the front door. And they'll tell me, hey, there's been a delivery of statues. And so then I'll go to the front door and there they all lined up being real stiff. And then I'll pick up one of the stiff statues and then I will take them and then I will place them at a nice spot, usually by my chair where I can set a glass of tea on their head. You know, so just wherever's good. Then I'll go get another one and I'll pick up another statue and then I'll get that one and a stiff statue and I'll bring them over and I'll set them somewhere else. But when my back is turned, these statues will change positions on me. And then I'll say, who's moving my statues? And then every once in a while, I'll turn around and I will catch them moving and I'll say, oh, you guys aren't statues at all. You're little kids. And the game over. But here's the thing. They never want the game to end. So we play statues over and over. And granddad, can we play statues? Granddad. Now, Mimi was smart enough not to ever start this, but you know, it's granddad, can we play statues? Yeah, we can play. So now it's like, yeah, we'll play statues later. And I find out when they're going to be leaving. Like when they have something else going, they got to go to something. Then I'll go about 20 minutes before that. And statue time, because I know there's an end. <laughs> we play other games like rodeo, and that always ends because somebody gets hurt. So that's no problem. But statues, it just goes on. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it. They never get tired of statues. They just love playing it over and over. There's a quote from a famous pastor named G.K. Chesterton that talks about this a couple hundred years ago. Here's what he says. He's talking about God. This is really interesting to me. It's a weird quote, so you gotta listen, and it's like a short paragraph. Are you ready? Can you hear it? All right. It goes like this. Not as important by the Bible, just, just a quote I like, all right? Here's what G.K. Chesterton says. A child kicks its legs rhythmically through excess, not absence, of life. Because children have a bounding vitality. Because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. He continues, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough. It's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. 
It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of emphasis. For, and he closes this way. For we, have, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. I love that quote. You know, it makes me, I have sinned and grown. When I think about joy, I think I have sinned and grown old, and my father is younger than me. Because God has joy. Jesus has joy. He wants us to experience his joy. We, when winning the battle for our minds, when we're winning, we experience joy. And also, when we're winning, we have joy with a gentle spirit. That's what he talks about in the next verse, verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. Now, this gentle spirit, this is really hard to translate into English. We hear gentle spirit, and what are we saying? Kind of like a meekness. But this has a different flavor. It's kind of like that. Gentle spirits, sometimes it's translated forbearance, but that doesn't really help us today in English either. This gentle spirit, what it is, it's like a, a contentment with what you have in Christ. It's like a contentment that is the opposite of entitlement. It's like a contentment that says when, when, when maybe you deserve something or you should have something and somebody else and comes in and grabs it, it's like you're not worried about that. It's okay. You don't feel entitled to anything. It's contentment that you're okay with whatever God has given you. It's a weird word. And then it says, because the Lord... Is near. Now, there's like three different ways you could take the Lord is near. He could say the Lord is near, and that means that just means Jesus is coming back any minute, which he is coming back anytime. We don't know. That's one way. Or it could mean they're under persecution, and you guys aren't going to be here much longer. The Lord is near. You're going to go see him pretty soon. Or it could mean the Lord is near, that we as Christians, because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, every Christian, from the moment of the salvation, that the Lord is near to us. And I think in the context, that's the best option, although all three are true. God is with us every second of every day if you're a believer. We're winning the battle for our mind when we experience joy and then when we have a gentle spirit with that joy and then we're winning the battle of our mind when we're not anxious but instead we pray in gratitude and we already talked about anxiety it's just in our text again here so I want to touch on it but two weeks ago we talked about anxiety Verse 6 says this. Next verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, which just means petition. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The result, uh, the result that happens 
when we battle anxiety by turning to God and making, just letting him know, he already knows, but just letting him know with a grateful heart, the result of that is the peace of God. That's what he says next, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, will guard your hearts and your will guard your hearts and your in Christ Jesus. When we replace anxiety with God's truth, that God knows us, that God loves us, that God's always promised to be with us, that God wants the best for us, and even when we're going through hard things, God will use those hard things to make good in our life somehow. When we know all that, we can pray with confidence and gratitude, and then we will experience his peace. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Jesus. But here's the thing. Same thing we talked about a couple weeks ago. We must mentally discipline ourselves with God's truth. We must mentally discipline ourselves with God's truth. Uh, Back in my 20s, I did a lot of weird things in my 20s, but one of them is I worked in the gas fields of the panhandle of Texas, out of Dumas, Texas. And while I was there with the men, and kind of a rough crowd, but you know, with the guys I was working with, there was another young guy in his 20s that I found out was a believer. And so that we kind of interacted a little bit. He's a good guy. And he challenged me. Hey, you know, while we're doing all this work, we ought to be thinking about God things. And then he challenged me to learn these couple of verses, so we both memorized them. By the way, way easier to memorize God's word when you're in your 20s <laughs> than you're, when you're in your late 40s like I am. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, whatever. No, way easier, way easier to learn to memorize when you're, when you're in your 20s. And so here it is. It's in King James. It says it. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law he doth meditate day and night. You see, meditate on God's word. Think about it. Apply it. Think through it. That's what God wants for us. So, and that's what Paul's going to talk about next. Hey, when we're winning the battle, we experience joy. Our joy has this gentle spirit with it. But check this out. We discipline our minds to think about God's truth. This sounds weird. Joy is a mental discipline Joy is a spiritual discipline. Here's what he says next in Philippians chapter 4, verse, verse 8 and 9. He says, Finally, brethren. So he's wrapping it up, although it's actually not the first time he used finally. because He's kind of a long-winded guy like me. You know, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell, dwell, he's saying, meditate on, think about, consider, or out west we used to say, reckon, you know, figure it out, think through it, dwell on these things. What were the things? Those things, what God says is good, honorable, right, true, pure, lovely. That's what he's talking about. And then verse nine, the things, those things, you have learned. Hey, you learned all this, he's saying. You've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. So first it's meditate, dwell on it, then practice it. It's cognitive behavioral, if you want to put it in secular terms. It's think and then do. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Kind of interesting way to end, because he said, last time he said, a few verses ago, a couple of sentences ago, you'll have the peace of God. But now he's saying the God of peace will be with you and overshadow everything you do. That's the promise he's telling us. These four verbs, learned, received, heard, seen, He's, he's talking about, hey, this is all the stuff I taught you when I was there. But it's more than just the teaching, the doctrine. It's more than the biblical truth. It's also that you saw and heard from me. You saw me live it out. You saw me behave this way. I lived this way in front of you. My personal conduct was living out that truth. That's what he's telling us. So how do we win the battle of our minds? We're wrapping up this whole series. How do we win the battle of our minds? It's the same thing every week. We dwell on, think about, meditate on, reckon, consider God's truth and how it applies to our life. We talked about this power of four. It's not from the Bible. It's just these guys who do a bunch of surveys realize, hey, people ingest God's truth, but something happens when they do that at least four times a week. I don't mean just looking at words because I got to read a chapter. I mean, if four times a week you're thinking and applying God, reading it and studying it and how it applies to your life, if you do that four times a week, researchers are saying, wow, that's when a person's life really changes. Game changer. God says, we should be doing this every day. But the point is, the more we do this, the better off we are. We change the way we have thought, the patterns of thought that we had in the past. We can develop new patterns that create new chemicals like dopamine to do the right thing. But we don't base it on whatever works for us. We base it on what God says is truth. And as we put our thinking, if we keep putting into our mind what God says is true, then it will change the way we live. And it will give us joy. We will live with joy every day. It'll be easier for us to be joyful. That's exactly what God wants from us. So the question is, what are you dealing with today? What are you dealing with today? What's, what is robbing you of joy? What's keeping you from being joyful right now or on most days or on Monday? 
what is that? We have to identify that. What's going on? Because a lot of times, you know what it is? It's disobedience. Like, we're living a lifestyle that we know God says we shouldn't be living, so it's hard to be joyful when we know we're doing the opposite of what God told us to do and we know who God is. You know, that's why David, after sinning with Bathsheba, wrote Psalm 51. God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. God's paid the price for your sin. Be joyful. Repent. Admit it. Turn away. Confess it. Admit that you've done it. We don't say it's not sin like the world does. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. No, we admit it. God says it's wrong. It's wrong. God, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Help me not do it again. Repentance. Confession. Repentance. And then it's gone. He's paid the price. He already paid the price. But now we feel like he paid the price. And we move on. And we move on to live a life of joy. God wants, we see kids running around just having a great time. That's the way God wants us to live. Have joy. Live with joy. Be joyful. Which is the same thing to say as rejoice. We sort of turn to rejoice as something we do you know, when we sing, no, be joyful when you're singing. Because God's done everything for us. He's provided, we have every, you, if you're a believer right now, you have everything you need to be joyful. You already have it. Just think about it. And think about it enough, it'll bring joy into your life. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. And Father, we understand not everybody here is a believer. They're just like we used to be before we were believers. We get it. And Father, we pray for them that you would tug on their hearts, that you would help them to see the truth of your word, that they would want to find out more. If they have questions, that they would come and get those questions answered. We'd be happy to do that for them. Lord, tug their hearts. And God, for us who are believers, Lord, we get to live in joy. You could have said something else, but you say, hey, live in joy, be joyful all the time. Because it's not connected to circumstances. It's rooted, it's connected to you. God, we thank you for your greatest gift, your son, Jesus. It brings salvation into our lives, a connection with you, and that brings joy all the time. Lord, help us to experience it the way you intended. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.